0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Woody Off The Cuff. I'm excited, as always, to bring you some good stuff about mental health and dealing with overwhelm and how to generally have more well-being and recover from the traumatic stuff you face every single day. And today we're going to be talking about a topic that is revolutionary, in my opinion. It really is. It's something that I'm planning on coining and using a lot moving forward because I've just sort of created it in a way, even though it's something that other people talk about. And the topic for today is something I'm calling active grieving. Rather than just grieving or grief, it's active grieving. Today I'm going to talk about how I've discovered this process and what it means to me and how I'll be using this in my content going forward. But before we dive right in, just want to make a couple announcements. Okay, you all know I have a book. I'm doing some stuff. Another thing that's coming out soon is a coaching package for the new year. So if you're starting to think, oh, like I got to get through the holidays and I can't think about anything else, just head down for the holiday season. Well, first of all, I'm here to help you and this podcast will help you during the holiday season. But second... I know eventually you'll be having a New Year's resolution or some type of renewed work effort, something in your life that you may need to enhance in the new year. And I'm going to have an amazing, amazing coaching package available for some one-on-one coaching for those interested that it's going to be super affordable, the most affordable I have ever offered or ever will offer. And I'm going to have a whole big launch for that. And hopefully I can get it to you in December so you can pre-sign up for January. So if you're thinking, huh, maybe I need to slot something in for New Year's to make sure I don't, you know, just completely fall off the earth after the holidays, then this is the thing for you. So just stay tuned. And also just wanted to say real quick that you might notice in my last episode, I said, hey, I want to podcast multiple times a week. And then I took a full week to make this episode, maybe a weekend change. The reason for I always put my mental health and my trauma recovery first. That's my brand. I say, you have to put this above all else, and it leads to amazing things. And for me, I've been going through a really tender and intense time with some of my recovery stuff the past week, so I've focused on that, and I haven't made much content. And it's been wonderful. I just was honestly too raw to share with you all, but now I'm here making this, and it's going to be amazing. So just wanted to say, you know, try give an example of practicing what I preach, which is put your recovery above everything else, recovery from mental health issues, trauma, physical issues, you know, just put your health and well-being above everything else, and good things will happen. I believe that. I schedule my time that way, and I hope you will take some steps to move that way. So now let's move into this whole Active grieving thing. All right. Active grieving is the answer to your problems. I'm becoming more and more convinced of this. And so, before we get into the nuances, I just want to talk about grief for a second. I found myself in the past six months to a year doing a lot of grieving and a lot of trauma work. And in fact, when I was publishing my book in June, about four and a half months ago from the time I'm recording this, I had a section in there on trauma therapy when I was writing it. You know, if we're going into the final draft, I've rewritten the book three times. And the fourth draft, I really knock it out of the park and I say there's a section on trauma in here dealing with emotional trauma. And part of that was get a trauma therapist, someone who uses eye movement techniques like brain spotting or EMDR. You can search these things up. And there are practitioners who use these and I've been doing it for about six months Maybe um, a little longer now, maybe eight months, and it has been stunningly successful. Stunningly successful. Actually, I'm looking at my calendar, and it might have been a full year at this point, which is pretty insane, but I think I've been doing it a full year. So anyway, I put this chapter in my book, and my editor comes back to me with the final content edits and suggestions, and she says, hey, Woody, I'm really glad this trauma stuff worked for you but I don't, you know, I'm happy for you, but that doesn't apply to me. You know, not everybody has this trauma stuff. So like, I think we should take this out unless you have a better reason it should be in there. And she had a good point. You know, it is really hard to admit you might have trauma or to label anything in your life as traumatic. It is very scary to say that word trauma, especially as it pertains to emotions. And So I heard that from her, but I knew, oh no, this is central. This is so important. So I kind of doubled down and put some more stuff on trauma in the book and why we all have it, but it's still just a short section. So I just wanted to let you know I've got an intro in my book about this, but the more I do the work, the more I realize that this trauma recovery stuff is the answer, like The answer, the answer to your personal problems, the answer to your work problems, the answer to your physical health, the answer to society's problems, trauma recovery, is that. And I'm going to explain a little bit about that today and share my experience, okay? But I also just want to meet you where you are, so if you feel like, oh, like, I don't have that, I don't want to talk about that, just know that every step along my way of improving my mental health and dealing with my overwhelm I have also thought, I don't need that. I thought I didn't need therapy until my doctor sent me to therapy and said, hey, Woody, all your physical health problems, your acid reflux, your IBS, all this, you need therapy. That's going to be the answer. And so then I go to therapy, and my therapist, my talk therapist says, hey, Woody, you probably need medication. You know, you should try that. And I said, no, no, no. I don't need medication. You're going to put something in my brain. I'm not going to be myself. And then I came back the next week and my therapist said, Woody, you're not going to get results if you don't try medication. And I said, okay, fine. We'll sign up and went through the arduous process of that. And then I was on medication and doing therapy. This is like 2018. And then in 2020, I decided I didn't need my medication anymore. I went back off it because I was so convinced I could solve everything by myself and I knew what was wrong and was going to be better. And then over the end of 2020 and the start of 2021, my mental health continued to deteriorate. And then I went back on my medication and restarted my therapy. So you can see that even as someone who is an advocate for this stuff, I constantly found myself wanting to need it less wanting to need less help with my mental health, wanting to need less help via medication, wanting less help. And it was just so ingrained in me that I was just thinking I want to be self-sufficient. But as you can guess from the name of my book, Help, I'm Overwhelmed, I finally, after years of messing up and slamming my head against a brick wall for no reason, realized that getting help is that is amazing and it's awesome. Um, And so I just wanted to tell you that to say, if you find yourself hesitant, or even if you think it sounds like a good idea, but you are feel this like negative emotion inside of you, thinking about mental health help and trauma and grief, that's normal. You know, even last year, right before I signed up for trauma therapy, actually my, uh, my sister-in-law, Pavithra, she reached out to me and said, hey, I know a really good therapist who is moving to your state. Um, I've heard about them and they're really good. You should look into them. They're a trauma therapist. And you know what I said? I said, I don't have any trauma. I don't need a trauma therapist. Don't even really know what that is. All I know is that I don't need it, you know? I kind of thought in my head, if you've got issues, that's your problem, but I don't have any issues. And then, sure enough, about a month later, after some self-discovery work, I realized, "Oh my gosh, I have trauma." Things have happened to me that I need to discuss. Things have happened to me that have caused emotional pain and that I need help healing from, things that are traumas. And so I got the recommended therapist, been working with her for almost a year now, and it has been life-changing. I mean, my quality of life on a daily basis is immensely greater than it was one year ago, and especially two years ago. And that's all thanks to this recovery mindset, recovering from trauma. I did so many self-help books, so many coaching things, so many courses, so many different working out and all these things that did not help my well-being at all. And yet, in a year and a half of taking this recovery mindset, my life has gotten immensely better, my personal well-being. So there's my pitch to you to have an open mind. Now I'll talk a little bit about the details, okay? So this week right? It's been maybe eight or nine days since I podcasted. And I haven't been podcasting because I have been experiencing grief. Grief is, you know, what you think of grief is like the loss of a loved one, right? That's a really large loss. And so grief is kind of something you experience when you experience loss. And it's something that is a process you go through. So you might have heard of the five stages of grief. Most of the therapists I know and mental health experts say that they're not really individual stages, you know, like denial and bargaining and anger and um, depression and acceptance or whatever order they go in. But those are kind of those stages they talk about. It's not just one stage after another. Grief is basically a huge jumble of emotions that you experience fear and anger and sadness and joy, thinking of, for example, with a loved one, all the good times you had with them. Grief is all of this combined. It's a complex emotion that includes a lot of things. And we go through it, and then we emerge out the other side, right? So when you think of a funeral of a loved one, for example, I could think of a grandparent, you know, It's sad. It's a loss. It's someone that used to be there for you that isn't. And it is all the emotions, and you feel happy with all the memories and sad that they're not there and upset that they had to go and all this. And then eventually, ideally, you move through those stages. And the last stage of grief is acceptance. And acceptance means you've come out the other side and now you're ready to seek your emotional security or whatever you need from a different source, right? Ultimately, if someone passes on, I have to adjust to that emotionally. I have to not seek out them to be the person to comfort me because they aren't there anymore. And so it's so sad, but generally when we have grief, we then accept it and move on. An example of this would be, I had to rehome a dog last year. And it was so sad. And in previous content and previous podcasts, I don't think on this specific podcast, but on a previous iteration of some content, I talk about this where I did everything I could to get my two dogs to get along. But my newer puppy just last summer, she just couldn't get along with our older dog, Willie. And she was actually kind of trying to attack him. And so I lived with two separate dogs for a while. Very stressful, living in totally different rooms, totally different lives. I walked them both, took care of them both. It was very, very stressful. And then we sent her to a new home that was much better for her. But the grief of losing that source of emotional comfort in my dog, Daphne, that I had to rehome, that grief was really strong after she was gone. And so I had to go through all those stages. And at first, it really hurt. It hurt because my brain was trying to go to her for comfort. I would think, oh, I just wish she were cuddling me right now or licking me or whatever or jumping around on me or peeing everywhere even, you know, which she did a lot. And it would make me so sad because I was craving this connection that I couldn't have anymore. And that's kind of what the first experience of loss to us feels like. It's craving a connection, craving something that is emotionally needed but not there. It's like, Food, if you always pulled a cookie out of a cookie jar and you craved it and then you you put your hand in the cookie jar and took it out and ate it and every day you did that and then one day the cookies weren't there anymore. You reach your hand in and there's no cookies in the jar and you say, oh no, I really wanted a cookie. Well, what do you do? You could insanely keep reaching your hand into the jar over and over again day after day but all that would do is cause you distress. So eventually, you go buy some more cookies and put them in the jar. Or you start getting a different food out of a cabinet. Or you go out to eat your dessert. You find a way to replace what you had, even if it takes doing something new. Even if you still think fondly of the old cookies in the cookie jar. Now, I have I tend to tell a lot of stories and metaphors. So I know I've kind of blended a story of a loss of a family member with a dog, with a cookie in a jar. But all I'm trying to get across is this basic, basic point I'm realizing, which is you have something that you depend on, you lose that something, and then you have to grieve it and actually move on and replace it with something else that can help you. That, to me, is the essence of grief in terms of how we can stay in our well-being. It's when we lose something, we have to face it, we have to admit it, and then we have to seek that support, whatever we are needing, elsewhere. In the case of giving up my dog, I sought that support from the dog I still had. And I said, brain, we can no longer go to the rehome dog for emotional support. We have to stick with the dog and the family we have and adjust back to that. And once I set that expectation, my brain started to understand, oh, we're going back to that. We're looking to these people. They're still here for us you know? So grief doesn't always mean you have to replace somebody with someone else. It can just mean a deeper appreciation of what you still have. But here's what I'm realizing. Okay, that's, again, this is a deep subject, so I'm trying to take it slow, but I hope you're sticking with me. That is, in a nutshell, five minutes, grief, right? But here's what I'm realizing, is that grief is not just losing a loved one, Grief is not just losing a very specific acute thing, and trauma is not just a sudden loss of a loved one or a sudden horrible occurrence, okay? Grief and trauma are both chronic daily things that happen all the time all around us, and because society does not treat them as such, we all suffer immense Mental health challenges that we don't have to just because we don't understand how to deal with everyday grief. And I'm going to tell you in this podcast, I think the way to deal with everyday grief is by having active grieving time. So I'm going to talk about this a little bit and talk about what I am doing to actively grieve, right? So let's come up with another example. Let me tell you about my life a little more, okay? This morning, even, when I found myself struggling, I noticed that I was distressed and upset by too many obligations today. So I'm recording this episode in the afternoon, but in the morning, I had artwork to ship. I had to go to the mall to take a photo shoot for Pritha's artwork um, at the pop-up shop she's located in. Shout out to Triangle Pop-Up in Crabtree Mall. If you're a Raleigh native, go there, find Pritha's artwork, buy it. But... um I had to you know, shower and shave and look presentable for that, I had to go through the rest of my morning routine, I had to walk the dog, I had to correspond with my virtual assistant in the Philippines because she was confused about a task that I had assigned her, and I had to approve of that task and offer new instructions, and I had just gotten some emails about a talk I'm giving next week, actually a week from today, to college students, and I was stressed about that because I had two different emails I needed to take action on. So this may be similar to what you experience in the morning. I woke up, I had seven different things to do and no time to do them all. And what I found is I immediately went into a state of distress. You know, not just stress as in, "Mm, like, I got to get that done. That's important. But distress as in, oh, all these seven things are happening. I'm so nervous. I don't know what to do first. I can't handle this. And it's almost like I felt like a crying baby on the inside. Just like, ah, what do I do? I'm in distress. And I had options, right? And the option I would normally take is just to panic and try and do everything. So it would be to try and send the email and do this and do that. And to just say, you know what? I'm not going to feel anything or do anything except try and fix all these problems. And I wonder... If you ever go into that mindset, the mindset of a problem came up, I feel like I'm going to die, I'm in distress, so I have to fix this problem right now. Now, it sounds good, like a good thing to fix problems. That's why this process is so counterintuitive of like taking your time and grieving. And I'm going to bring the grief back into this. I know it's a little, a little bit long winded here. But what I realized is that I was in distress about all these things But if I just tried to solve them all while I was in a state of distress, seven new things would come up tomorrow, and nothing would have changed except I've spent another day in distress, kind of addictively, compulsively solving problems when they weren't that important. And frankly, that's what I've been doing most of my life, and I wonder if you have been too. You wake up, you have a big thing of problems, you make a big long to-do list, you check off your whole to-do list by the end of the day and think, oh, I can finally relax And then you wake up the next day, and you've thought of 14 more things you have to do, and you didn't actually get to relax after all. And when you were relaxing, you were really just watching TV, and you didn't really enjoy the TV, and then you couldn't sleep because you were worried about tomorrow, and the spiral goes on and on. Am I right? I think I'm pretty right about that. A lot of us experience that. And so what I've realized is I had a new tool in my toolbox this morning that helped me deal with these emotions in a different way. So the situation is, I'm waking up, I have seven different things to do, I feel distress. The previous response I would have done is, I wake up, I feel all those things, I feel distressed, I immediately go into a frenzy of trying to problem solve, I tell myself, Woody, don't think, don't feel, just solve all these problems. If you don't, you're gonna die, so you just solve them all. And then I solve them all, And then I'm super exhausted and snappy and stressed. And then the process repeats the next day. But instead, today, I did something different. And it's because of my trauma work. Today, when I was in distress, and I thought, I've got all these things to do, and I had that feeling, I thought, you know what? I'm going to sit with this feeling because these things are not that important. And they're not that urgent. Nobody was dying nothing was life or death. So why was I reacting that way? I didn't know, but I had this ultimately a disconnect, right? Or a non-equilibrium where on one hand, I had a list of seven tasks that weren't that important and could get done anytime in the next week-ish. And on the other hand, I felt like I was going to die if I didn't do them. Now, this is the result of a lack of grief and trauma work is that all of us, have things that aren't really that important, but cause us immense life-threatening distress that makes us go into fight or flight, you know, where we have to solve it all right now or we have to just run away and forget everything. And when I felt myself going into that state, because I knew about grief and trauma and stuff, I thought, huh, maybe if I'm this distressed, it's because there's something I haven't accepted about life, something I haven't grieved, and I need to spend some more time in that grief, and in that emotion. And so instead of running to try and save the day and fix everything, I sat with my cup of tea, like I normally do, and I felt all these emotions, and I thought back to all the times in my life where I felt like I couldn't handle all of the sensory world or all the challenges that it portrayed, you know? And I remembered some memories, and I felt this panicked emotion but I thought, you know what, Woody, you can't solve it all, but you've been asked to. And I actively looked for something to grieve. Remember, nobody has died. Nothing super traumatic has happened today. But when I found myself in the grips of what was inherently a traumatic reaction, meaning it was far stronger than the stimulus deserved, you know, a few tasks to do today, congrats, that's a day. And yet my body was ready to fight, flee, or dissociate and just totally jump off a cliff because I was so scared. Well, whenever I notice that disconnect now, I try to actively find something to grieve to figure out what about life I have not accepted yet. And this is maybe a simpler way to put all this, but the grief is an important part, is life can only be lived if you accept what's happening right now. Now, a lot of this stuff may sound new to you, this grief and active grieving, but I know you've heard before that it's important to accept what is, right? Every single yogi, every single spiritual teacher, every self help book you've read, every book says, accept the present and then you can change it, you know? So everybody has heard this. You just got to accept the present. But my logical conclusion and my argument to you is that. We're all actually horrible at this, and we don't know how to accept the present. And the way to accept the present is to actively grieve the past times where you were held to an impossible standard, or that things were too hard, or that you experienced trauma. And only when you accept that you have all these reactions stuck in you from the past can you move forward in the present in a healthy way. So what did I accept today? You know, well... I thought about it, and I thought, my whole life, I have been given tasks that were constantly there in a never-ending funnel, and I worried that it was life or death. School is the best example. You'll know in my book, in chapter three, I talk about how school sets us up to think we have to be perfect on the first try, or we're a failure, you know? And so when I was even in, you know, like, sixth grade or eighth grade, there would be standardized tests and I would try to get the perfect grade on the test. Heck, even when I was in elementary school, I'm pretty sure there were standardized tests. And if I like got a certain grade, then I got some little dog tag or something. Maybe that was middle school. But anyway, you know, and I still remember being in middle school and there would be a dog tag for distinguished and a dog tag for proficient and apprentice and novice And there'd be a ceremony and everybody who was distinguished got distinguished and proficient and down the line. And I remember which ones I got distinguished and proficient in. And so from a young age, from a pre-puberty age, I was taught that it's critical to be distinguished, that you have to be distinguished and that if you're not, there's a problem. And what's worse is this, this evaluation just never ended. High school, college, work. Everywhere we go, we're being evaluated. And the reason I tie all this to grief is that the truth is that's impossible to be perfect and to always get the best rank or the best grade. But it is what society tells us to do, you know? On your job evaluation, don't you want the best rank or grade, right? Aren't you worried that if there's something wrong with you, that's a problem, you know? Does your boss ever tell you we have to get this exactly right or this is a problem, this is life or death? But is it life or death? Unless you are an ER doctor trying to save someone's life, it probably isn't life or death. And so we live in a world where we are constantly taught to have life or death reactions to things that are basically trivial and that only give a small indication of our intelligence or our skill or our worth. And that is inherently so traumatic, we all need to actively grieve it. It's not like the loss of a loved one, where it sort of just passively happens to you, you know? If someone you love dearly dies, you're gonna grieve, you know? Grief is a decision you make, sure, but the overwhelming intensity of that emotion and that loss will make you decide to grieve in most cases. But How much time have you spent grieving over the stress you experienced in school or at work? Not just saying, oh, like I need to take it easier, but feeling all those emotions, all that stuff that's coming up as you think about all the anxiety you ever felt being evaluated. So when I thought of all these tasks I had today, I had to do this, do that, do the other, I realized that I was operating in an insane way, out of a trauma reaction, something just basically irrational, because I hadn't properly actively grieved all the times I was held to an impossible standard. And so what I did is I felt all those emotions and I thought back to some tests I'd taken and to some stressors I'd experienced and to, you know, some things from childhood where I was held to an impossible standard that I couldn't live up to, and as I felt those emotions over and over, I suddenly found myself getting happier and being able to do the tasks in front of me. You see, it was never the tasks that were the problem. And it was never the consequences of those tasks or the emotional relevance of those tasks that was the problem. It was purely that I hadn't properly grieved. And so I couldn't react appropriately as an adult who can make my own decisions. I was essentially acting like a crying baby. And so actively grieving is the most important thing you can do for your well-being. I mean, think about it. As an adult, you get to live a good life. You get to try things. You have a lot of options. It doesn't necessarily make sense to be in constant distress. But most of us are. I think all of us are. I know I am. And I've done huge amounts of therapy work and mental health work. So if you're just at the beginning of this, that's no problem. Just know that there are all these things in your past that you do need to grieve. And active grieving means not waiting for some horrible thing to happen to you. It means constantly wanting to go back and feel the loss. And I mean really admit it and look at it, you know? For example, I was obsessed with my grades in college. And I almost had a 4.0. I had like a 3.94 graduated with. I was one of the highest GPAs in my whole graduating class. And the truth is, that wasn't worth anything. All the stress, all the many sleepless nights I had worrying about grades, all of that pleasing people and striving for perfection that I thought would do something for me, it didn't. And I'm getting emotional just thinking about that. But I have to admit, I am actively going to grieve that I wasted all this time and energy on school when not that it was wasted on school, but I wasted it worrying and being a perfectionist and a people pleaser. I could have gotten pretty darn good grades and been happy. I'm not saying school is bad, but I am saying that I am willing to admit when there's waste in my life, when there is pointless endeavor. And when there's something that is just a straight-up loss, I lost that time and that energy and that way of living, trying to be perfect and please everyone, won't work for me moving forward. And so I have to admit that it was the wrong way to do things. And then I admit it and I feel these feelings, this mix all throughout my body. And then unbelievably, I'm more ready to take action and more ready to do things in the future and I feel better. That's the magic of grieving, The truth is, the best thing you can do in life is simply accept life exactly as it is. But you cannot accept the present unless you've also accepted the past, and you gotta grieve to accept the past. When you lose something, you have to grieve. I'll close it out with one more little metaphor about grieving. Let's say you're riding a bicycle, you know, as a kid, and let's say that in this world, Nobody knows how to ride a bicycle, and they all crash all the time. And so you ride your bike, and you crash, and you break your leg, you know? You're driving fast down a hill and you crash, you break your leg, you know, on your bike. And then somebody says, yep, well, let's just keep on living life, you know? Let's move on, no no reason worrying about that. And you start walking home, and you think, oh my gosh, I can barely walk, my leg hurts so bad. Walking on this right leg really hurts. And people say, hey, Bike crash is over. That's in the past, you know? You got to move on. And the next day you wake up and you step out of bed and your leg is swollen and you step on that right leg and you say, oh no, like walking hurts so much. I can't walk. And you get back into bed. And then you get some crutches and you walk around on crutches, but you never set your leg. You never acknowledge that it's broken. And then your leg, you know, shapes up deformed because you didn't set it. And then your whole life you walk around and you're afraid to walk without a crutch or a wheelchair because because you think walking is bad. Because the moment your foot hits the ground and your weight goes on it, you feel pain and your body is screaming, get me out of here. I can't take this. This is bad. And so you accurately listen to your body and you get back in a wheelchair or you get back on crutches and for the whole rest of your life, You can't walk on that leg because your body is screaming at you that it's wrong to do so. Isn't that a funny metaphor or a funny story? We all know that if we break our leg, we must accept it. We must grieve the loss of that bone structure. We must then seek out a physician to heal us, and we must set that leg in a cast, and we must not walk on it for a while, But what we know the whole time, I'm kind of tapping my brain here, although you guys can't see that, what we know the whole time is that it's not walking that's the problem, it's that the leg is broken, that a trauma happened, and that trauma hurt us, and we need to heal and seek a solution so that we can walk again. Now in the physical world, we know that. When you break your arm, you know to go get it fixed, and you know that you'll be able to use it again. But I'm telling you, nobody in society, almost nobody in the real world understands that it works the same way with emotional trauma. When you get screamed at, when you are faced to an academic standard that you can't handle, when your boss tells you you're doing a bad job, when your family puts pressure on you you can't handle, when your religious institution does the same thing, when, you know, your Desire to earn money does the same thing, and you can't live up to the money standards that people have for you. When someone judges your appearance, right? When someone judges you in any way to a standard you can't live up to, you're being inflicted emotional trauma on. And what do you do? You do what society tells you to do, which is either try and just keep going and all over you're hurting and hurting and hurting, or You listen to your body, and your body says, Oh, I can't work. I can't learn. I can't do this or that. I can't handle life because it hurts. And your body screams at you, don't go to that party. Don't make that friend. Don't try that new aggressive career move. Don't try to earn more money because you can't do it because trying to do that hurts. Well, the reason it hurts is not because you can't do it or that trying to live better or be better or make friends or connect is bad. Just like walking isn't bad when you had the broken leg. The reason you can't do it is because you're a little bit broke. Just like I am. Just like we all are. But you've never taken the time to grieve, let the injury heal, and then seek a new method of moving forward or to move forward once it's healed. Whew. That gave me some chills. You know, I really don't know how many people are following here. If you've stuck through this, I commend you. But to me, this is the most important thing in the world. I am willing to put my flag in the ground and say, this is the thing that everybody needs is if your reactions to the world are not commensurate, meaning equal in proportion to the amount of distress you feel, you know, if going to a small social event makes you feel extreme distress, if working for someone makes you feel extreme distress, if like me, just showering and shaving and the sensory stuff related to that gives you extreme distress. What that means is there's stuff in your past you've got to grieve, but you'll only find it if you actively seek it out. Some people experience grief and can handle it when it's an acute thing, a passive thing, loss of a loved one, loss of a pet. But you've got to go find a therapist and dig into your past and grieve the things that were put on you that you could never handle. Again, this is not about judging anyone else or blaming them for what happened to you. And I haven't used the word abuse once yet, even though abuse does happen and it's serious. Because trauma doesn't have to come from intentional abuse. Trauma comes because life is hard, people. Even if your parents were the best parents in the world, there were times they... We're put in a situation that put trauma on you because they're experiencing it from their parents and they're experiencing it because life is hard and we have to feed ourselves and we have to eat and we have to take care of ourselves and life is inherently traumatic. But we can heal and the way to heal is get help. You can't do it alone. Biologically, you're not wired to do it alone. Get help from me, get help from a therapist, get help from a friend, get help from a mental health peer support group. Get help from medication if your doctor, you know, recommends it. Again, I'm not a doctor. I don't recommend medication. Your doctor or a psychiatrist can recommend that. But you have to actively go back and grieve and admit where you've had loss, or you will always be like a person with a broken leg walking around in the world where you can't come close to your full potential. And I think we all are walking around on two broken legs, and it hurts, and we freak out all the time. And I personally am committed to healing those legs. And so I hope you'll join me, but you know, even if not, even if you're skeptical, I'm just glad you're here listening. So that's it for today. Thanks for tuning in. If you want more background on this or the simpler version, feel free to check out my book. It's in the description and look forward to that new coaching offering coming soon. Mark it in for New Year's, the most affordable life coaching you have ever been offered. And if you are listening here, you know that I'm talking some serious stuff and I know what I'm talking about because I've lived it. And so I hope you'll seek that out with me. Look forward to more announcements on that. But please go have a great day and open your mind to actively grieving. See you later.